Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, hello. I feel like we're sort of um, back to our bread and butter. And by that, I mean I'm in Los Angeles and you're in New York and we're recording a podcast over Zoom. This is the majority. This is our home turf, basically. The majority of our pods have been under these circumstances. I know. It's like coming back home after a long road trip. You're like, this feels good. I'm sleeping in my own bed again. Which is staring at a screen, which I guess you're on the other side of. I don't really know. There's a chance that I could have just made all of this up in my brain this whole time. <laughs> um, My travel to Los Angeles is the reason that this podcast is coming to you a, a little later than usual. Um, My flight was um, canceled, you know? You know the airline when they're just like, yeah, we just didn't hire a crew for your flight. <laughs> And you're just like, oh, okay, great. Be, that would be, I wish that was like the norm in other professions, you know, right. like, like, I don't know, you, you go into, um, to your, your, your local coffee shop and they're like, we know you ordered a drink, but unfortunately right. and we, know we that just you paid for the drink. Right. But unfortunately, five we weeks just, ago, we just let all our baristas go home. Right. And we know that the drink is $800. <laughs> and we know that in order to do your job, you need the drink. Also, technically, we overbooked your drink. <laughs> so we made one drink, even though four people ordered the exact same thing. And we're kind of just hoping three people don't show up. It's a kind of um it's a it's a wild thing that we let society do, you know? It's we let pretty... airlines get away with far too much. We haven't even talked about baseball yet. We're talking no. about airlines, we're talking about me being in Los Angeles. Here's the most important baseball thing I want to start out this week with. We of course have Rob Manfred's comments about minor leaguers as per usual. We have the all-star break. Oh, we have a bunch of listener questions to get to as well. But more important than all of that, Alex. We have the opinions of Major League Baseball All-Stars about what it means to strike out the side. And the results will surprise you. <laughs> the results, folks, they're not going to be ideal from my perspective. Um, I'll play a little bit of this clip that MLB tweeted out uh, from their social media accounts from last weekend's All-Star game. It's just a wonderful, it's a wonderful idea for a video. So this collection of Major League Baseball players was asked, what does it mean to strike out the side? Does it mean three in a row? Or any three in the inning? And here are the results, Alex. Six for striking out three in a row. Nine. Nine for striking out three in an inning in any order. And then there's Alec Manoa, who weirdly was talking about some technicality that wasn't part of the question. But I love, love him for love it him. anyway. I love him for it anyway. Um... Are, are we wrong? Or are the best baseball players on the planet wrong? The best baseball players on the planet, on that list, who said it was any three in an inning, Garrett Cole, Travis Darno, Clay Holmes, Max Fried, Pete Alonzo, Pete, come on, Paul Goldschmidt, we could probably cross him off, about his thoughts on things, Austin Riley, Jock Peterson, and Devin Williams. These are the ones who are pro uh, any three strikeouts in any order in yes. an inning. Yes. So lots of so you give lots up of five hitters, runs. I will say and strike right. out three. <laughs> you struck out the side. That's what they think, earnestly. So how many of those are 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 batters? Because I I maybe tend to trust their opinion on this slightly less because it doesn't doesn't matter to them, and obviously it doesn't matter to Devin Williams because he just strikes out the side no matter what the situation. <laughs> he doesn't give up hits. <laughs> uh, five of those nine are batters. Okay, and uh. Of the ones who said that you have to do it in a row, five of the six are pitchers, and the other one was a catcher. Okay. All-star so, breakout, Jose Trevino on the right side of history here, hell, saying that it has to be in a row. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, so I think that's telling, right? Right. That we kind of have this, uh, this divide between pitchers and hitters on this subject. A little jury selection bias. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but I, is it, right. Is this our principal Skinner 
moment where we're asking ourselves if we're out of touch or if the kids are wrong? Well, no, that's what I'm asking you. Are we wrong? Is it possible that this is the first time in the five-year history of tipping pitches we've ever been wrong about anything? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. I feel No, because actually, we're right, and we've never been wrong about anything else in the that's, past. That's right. right no, right. I, I actually feel far more confident in this, in, in the opinion that it must be three strikeouts in an inning and like that's you know one two three inning i feel far more confident in that opinion than i do in many of the others that i've i've logged on here to spew i mean i think it would be interesting to ask broadcasters as well because they're often the ones who are communicating this to the fans right Mm -hmm. you know he he gives up a hit but he strikes out the side um so there's an interesting hypothetical, though. If you walk the first person or you give up a hit and then you strike out three in a row, did you strike out the side? No. I agree. <laughs> okay, it's just, just, just checking. Just checking. Because to me, the side in question, the side mm-hmm. in question, Alex, yeah. is the list of three batters that are due up in the next inning. That's the side. And once you go beyond those three batters, you're no longer within the side. Does that hold weight to you? It does. I I I want to throw a bit of a wrinkle uh, in this because okay. it, it's also possible there are certain types of the side or retiring the side, right? Uh, oh yeah. Is there a difference between retiring the side and retiring the side in order? Like, are we thinking that re- you know strike out the side in order equals strike out the side? Or are they two distinct things, right? Is the side simply getting the three outs needed to to end a team's offensive half inning? But if you do it in order, there's your one, two, three inning. See, now you've really thrown me off because, Mm -hmm. you know, my side theory, I felt really good about it. But you're Mm -hmm. completely right in that when you retire the side, it's just when the inning is over. Right. No matter what has happened. Oh, thankfully, he finally retires the side. Gave up five runs before that. Doesn't matter. So you've you've stress tested my my side <laughs> theory. <laughs> Man, now I find myself sort of like not agreeing with those nine major leaguers, but co- kind of seeing where they're coming from. But saying striking out the side in order, that's a mouthful. It is. And it seems not worthy. Striking out three batters not in order does not seem like a worthy enough accomplishment to have its own (laughs) phraseology, you know? Because everybody strikes out nowadays, and anything could have happened in between. So I I feel like we should still reserve striking out the side for just doing it in order. Because no one's going to say he struck out the side in order. We were all watching. We saw it. I agree with you. Uh, We seem to be increasingly interested in the linguistics around baseball. Yeah, we're kind of effectively wild posting. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I, I'm curious what you, the listener, thinks of this because there's there's a very clear divide on this, right? One that is arguably as strong as pro or anti DH. Except we're on the same side <laughs> for this one, <laughs> right? Exactly. But among among baseball fans, I think you could take a take a straw poll uh, at at any given game. And you'd probably get love a straw poll. We love a straw poll. I think you'd probably get a few different answers. I think some of the answers would probably be like, "What is what is the side? I've never heard of this before. I just saw the pitcher do good, good do good stuff." Should we turn this into a bit of ours? Like whenever we're at a baseball game, just ask people, everybody around us, "Hey, bro. Hey, chief. <laughs> I what's striking out the side mean to you?" I I kind of like that idea. Okay. Every game we go to, we got to ask at least one person. Okay. And, and we keep, keep like a running, keep like a, running a running tally. Yeah. And then afterwards, after they're done with their answer, we point at them and we say, "This is the year." <laughs> <laughs> We're too deep in our own bits. We can't have like normal conversations anymore. On or off mic, you know. We yeah, just have bit laid in conversations, even when we're not recording them for the Tipping Pitches podcast. Yeah. Um, it's, speak- how, it's how we cope. Speaking of the Tipping Pitches podcast, let's um let's do it. <laughs> let's stop talking about striking out the side. Thanks to at MLB for that wonderful conversation starter. I think uh, I think friend of the podcast Jess Whitney was the one who was asking those questions to those major leaguers. Wonderful idea. <laughs> um, 
as I mentioned before, we are going to talk. We are going to hit on Rob Manfred's comments about minor leaguers and their wage and whether or not they can live on it. Uh, and then we're going to answer a bunch of listener questions at the end of this episode. But before we do that, I am Bobby Wagner. I am Alex Baisley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. Alex, our favorite segment, we host a town hall press conference in response to a Rob Manfred press conference is coming up in just a moment. Um, however, I wanted to talk to you about the All-Star Game and All-Star Weekend, Home Run Derby, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which happened this past week. We didn't talk a ton about it on the last episode because we interviewed Randy Wilkins about the captain. Uh, first, The first two episodes of that have come out now. If you haven't checked it out, you can get it on demand on ESPN+. Plus. Um, or if you have cable, it is airing frequently and every Thursday until the series wraps up. I think there are five more episodes after this. So go check that out. Um, but All-Star Weekend. We don't usually spend a ton of time talking about, you know, like the baseball main events on the show. Um, <laughs> famously, we don't talk about the uh, the games and who wins. <laughs> Sometimes we talk about the playoffs, maybe the World Series where it rolls around every once in a while. But um, I wanted to ask you, who do you think uh, who won All-Star Weekend? You know, I know the American League won for the ninth straight time, which is just very statistically improbable if we think, <laughs> if we think too hard about it. But who is like the person who you are thinking of one week later because of their performance at All-Star Weekend? I mean, it has to be Alec Manoa, right? As far as the person who made the most waves over the course of the 48 hours of festivities in terms of like on field, not even performance, but like showing of personality. According to our friends at the top of the show, he struck out the side, even though he hit a batter. (laughs) So his on field performance was good. Obviously what caught most people's attention was that he he was mic'd up for, for his timeout on the mound. And, uh, and had a lot to say, not to anyone in particular, mostly to himself. It seems like Alec Manoa is his own greatest hype man. Um, yeah. But uh, after more or less every pitch, he was muttering something to himself. He was making some sort of ex, uh, exclamation, either kind of in the direction of the batter or more just about the moment that mm-hmm. he was in. And And I have to say... This man is giving representation to folks who talk to themselves as they go about their their daily work. And I have to applaud him for that because we need more of that out there. So do you talk to yourself like that when you make a sick meme or like when you pull together a nice little PowerPoint? Uh-huh. Are you like, yeah. fuck yeah, Alex? Y- yeah. You crush that. I am. Yeah. yeah. That's how you handle it? Mm-hmm. I, I like go to other other organizations, social media pages and say, like, sit down, like, get out of here, bro. OK, uh, you're joking. But when I'm listening to other media companies, podcasts, and I don't think they're very good, I actually do talk out loud and say that. So <laughs> I mean, yeah, so I, I probably segment. don't yeah. fucking whack ass segment could have done that one way better. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I do. Right. I, I maybe. I maybe don't speak to myself in the manner that Alec Manoa speaks to himself, but I feel like we both kind of kind of meet the moment as it as it requires. Can you tell me when was the last time you fist pumped? You know, like you just did something and you fist pumped. I fist pump far more than I really would like to admit. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. Shocking revelations in the first 20 minutes of the Tipping Pitches podcast. Alex is a self-talking fist pumper. (laughs) I fucking love it. I mean... I do it when I'm watching baseball a lot, frankly. Yeah. Especially yeah. if I'm not like not watching the team that I ostensibly root for. Not that I really do much fist pumping around the A's these days anyway. Yeah, you got to save your fist pumps for when Joe Laco buys them, baby. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. That's right. Thank you, based Joe. I don't know. I think that fist pumping should be more commonplace, honestly. Like after you cook a good meal, you know, mm. you feel mm-hmm. good about it. You're like, hmm. Yeah. That that pasta water emulsified with the cheese on that pasta so fucking good, man. 
Make sure I get an, I got to remember to make sure to get an acid in this dish, though. <laughs> I've been watching The Bear. Oh, we actually oh, just yeah. watched the whole, the whole season last week. Mm-hmm. Speaking of getting an acid in your pasta dish. Oh, yes, chef. It's so good. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah, I hate to be like this show that everybody's telling you to watch is good, but this just right. in. It's like the, this the, sh- Ted, the Ted Lasso effect where you're like, all right, we get all it. Right, Everyone come on, likes don't it, insult but... them. Okay, don't insult them. Um, I fist pump all of the time when playing MLB The Show. Fucking mm-hmm. after a big strikeout, I do yeah. Alec Manoa myself. Mm-hmm. I think that Manoa was definitely the big the big breakout star for me too. He's given a little bit of CC Sabathia energy. I tweeted this, and uh, of course, I don't know Alec Manoa personally, but on the mound and the way that he celebrates himself and doesn't hold back his own emotions, I think is a little bit reminiscent of of how CC handled things. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, there was a clip of him turning to the Red Sox bench after an inning-ending strikeout and uh, saying, why don't you sit down, bitch? <laughs> Which, you know, it's not not CeCe. Um, and so I, I did very much enjoy Manoa's performance. And then, of course, Julio, Julio Rodriguez is, I think, the mass appeal breakout of yeah. the All-Star game. And it's interesting how it lined up that uh, Seattle is hosting the All-Star game next year, and so this will be his follow-up to his breakthrough performance and yeah. he'll kind of be the the guy holding court in Seattle you'd have to assume and I just got you know I got a feeling watching him at the all-star weekend and then watching the captain and just thinking about like you know the parallels to young stars in Seattle becoming the face of baseball coming up and being highly successful at such a young age and how rare that is um not to say that uh, Julio will turn into cultural figure that is Alex Rodriguez but um it was it was really it was really cool to watch because I know in 20 years from now when Julio Rodriguez is a surefire hall of famer as we promised he would be a couple weeks ago on the show we will be looking back on the 2022 all-star game and thinking wow look how young he was like this is crazy I can't he hadn't done this he hadn't done that he hadn't done xyz like I I just think that that is what I take away from all-star weekend more so than the fact that Fox couldn't get the on-field microphones to be louder than <laughs> fucking three decibels. Yeah, we're in real audio hours now. Now he's in his element. Um, I totally agree that, like, as far as stock among baseball fans, as like as like an actual baseball player, not necessarily just like a like a cool dude. Although his stock as a cool dude is certainly rising as well, but. Yeah. He absolutely like flashed all of the tools that make him such an inci- it, that make him such an exciting young player and will be such an exciting young player for the next you know better part of two decades. So it did feel like his kind of coming out party. Yeah, and it happened in a natural way, which was him stealing the show at the home run derby, um, which is far and away. All-Star Weekend's coolest event. Uh, I wanted to get your temperature really quickly before we talk about Rob. On, I don't know, man. I don't know how to explain this, but the vibe of the presentation of All-Star Weekend and the the way that we try to market baseball to supposedly like the rest of the sports world who is coming in for a couple days to check out the Midsummer Classic. Because... I couldn't help but get this feeling while watching it. And this is a way that I feel oftentimes while watching things like Sunday Night Baseball or generally speaking, watching baseball on largely ESPN, but Fox as well. Um, They were the ones, Fox was the one, was the channel who hosted the actual game itself and ESPN held the other festivities. I can't help but feel like they're constantly trying to tell people that there are stars in baseball rather than just letting people observe the stars and make natural connections to them. It's almost like, you know, an inception when they're like, when they're like, what's the easiest way to get someone to think about an elephant? You're like, don't think about an elephant. Mm-hmm. And then of course, what are you thinking about an elephant? But you know that that idea didn't come from you, you know, because someone else just said it to you, but now you're thinking about it. It's kind of how I feel about how they talk about Shohei Otani, where they're just constantly they almost make me not want to like him by how much they're telling me to like him. I'm like, these are the people who I don't like telling me to like this guy. <laughs> Does that make sense? Or am I, am I completely galaxy branding this? 
No, I know what you mean. It's a lot of telling in sh- instead of showing, right? Like trying to prove yes, that these players are the monumental stars that they actually are instead of kind of letting their performances speak for themselves. And I'll say that I I probably didn't have the same viewing experience as you because I was watching with the the sound off for most of the All-Star game and the Home Run Derby. So I... Were you doing your own play-by-play? <laughs> right, exactly. Like, I was like doing... a shadow slack that I don't know uh-huh. about? Yeah, exactly. No, I was just fist pumping and kind of yelling out... Um, and yelling out affirmations to Juan Soto uh, while while he was while he was hitting. Um, no, but I mean that was like almost a more enjoyable experience because I I didn't need to I didn't feel the need to like get upset over over like commentating or anything like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, that's how a, a majority of people take in the game right is with is with the sound on and it definitely feels like like for all of the the criticism that we kind of throw at major league baseball i i don't think that they are terrible at kind of marketing their stars or letting their stars sort of speak for themselves i think they've made a lot of strides in the last couple of years at kind of putting them front and center Right. Yeah. Even even doing stuff as simple as the you know what we talked about at the top of show. Right. Just uh, asking them kind of goofy questions that might uh, you know might speak to the baseball community's curiosity around the game or whatever. Right. Yeah. Like that sort of stuff. I think is cool and like raises interest in the players themselves. Needing to bait major leaguers into saying something <laughs> other than "I'm just happy to be here. I'm just taking it one game at a time. This is such a special experience." Right, exactly. I was, you know, I was raised to play the game the right way, and so it's awesome that that uh, that took me here. Um, but it does feel like when it kind of reaches a national level, there's a sense of not knowing how to kind of contextualize it within the broader world of sports. There just seems to be a lack of self confidence in how the sport thinks of itself in the national spotlight versus how other sports do. Like football has all the self-confidence in the world that it needs because it knows that 100 million people watch it. I think basketball has more self-confidence than baseball because the stars themselves are much more open to the spotlight and they know how to be interesting in a way that I think a lot of baseball players don't naturally want to be. And so then I think that what happens is when you get players who are interesting in that way, who can shine in the spotlight, who do well in situations like that I think that there's just a little bit of uh, an overbearing quality to how people who genuinely like baseball like the announcers and the people who cover baseball on television I think those people like baseball probably they want you to know that there are other things to like about the game other than what's on the field because I think people are really insecure about what's on the field right now because there's this dominant conversation which I banned from the podcast which is so I'm not going to get into it, but there's this dominant conversation about how baseball is 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 dying, and the game itself is not interesting enough to young people. And I don't think that that's necessarily true, but I think that that is a presumption that people are bringing into events like All-Star Weekend, the All-Star Game, and I think it's kind of hard to ignore when you when you watch an event like this. And it's a little bit easier to ignore in October because... The games matter so much, so you can let them speak for themselves a little more, and all of the stars are not necessarily as individually showcased as they are at All-Star Weekend, but I don't know. It's just something that I keep noticing time and time again when we have events like this. Yeah, and you know, I think that's also a problem that's kind of inherent to a lot of national broadcasts of baseball games, just because you have a a crew of people yeah. who are kind of parachuting in, right? Oh, you heard and... about this guy? <laughs> yeah, you heard about that guy? He's cool. Right. He's good. And they, and they use these these uh, kind of marquee exhibitions as a way to sort of like, you know, they want to give you a quick glance at every single star that's here, right? Which I get. I, I in in an event like this, I do kind of understand the the instinct to just say, let's try and like focus on everyone. 
right? Because you 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 want to elevate the profiles of these players, but you you kind of run into issues when you start to act like like you have to convince people that these yeah. are players that are worth being interested in. Yes, because the people when, who are paying close attention already know they're interesting, and the other people are not getting it from your little 30-second thing. Right. They're kind of getting neither of those two things. Yes, exactly. Um, and that's not even to say, I don't even think the broadcast was bad. Like, I don't think that they're doing anything wrong, necessarily. I just think we're in a really, wi- I think we're in a really weird environment. I think the vibes around the sport are very weird, though I enjoyed many of the things that happened at All-Star Weekend. Real quick, before we move off All-Star Weekend, I just want to float my conspiracy theory to you, and you kind of give me a 1 to 10 on, like, tinfoil hat. Okay, Okay, right. Wait, just to be clear, 10 means I like it, I believe it. 10 means it's believable. Yes. Like, you, like, yes, I'm on board with this. Okay. I mean, you may not like what the conspiracy theory stands for, but you you might. (laughs) Okay. I think that Juan Soto was trying to let Albert Pujols win and accidentally won just because his talent is so good. <laughs> he gets to the second round of the home run derby, right? Schwarber yeah. kind of, uh, you know, struggles mightily in the first round. They go to the swing off him and Albert Pujols. Pujols ends up prevailing and taking on Juan Soto in the second round of the derby. And Soto, who is like, looking locked in in the first round, all of a sudden is kind of not struggling, but he's hitting a lot more pop-ups. He's kind of hitting a lot more line drives. He looks like he's like trying to put on like a like an all-fields hitter derby, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. I think that he reveres Pujols enough and, and that, you know, I mean, many of the Latin American players who were there were showing their love for Albert Pujols. I think he wanted to let him have his moment and just accidentally hit a couple home runs that put him over the edge. Okay, can I add to the theory before I give it my 1 to 10? Okay. If that's true, I think the reason that he ended up winning was because at some point he shared a glance with Albert who was like, please put me out of my misery. I don't (laughs) think that I can swing for another round. I love that. I think that's a very worthy addition. <laughs> uh, Albert did well. It, he like, did very well. It's not that I didn't think that he could hit home runs, but like, how many consecutive but, but like, swings? We were, we were a little curious about how it would go. Right? He certainly wasn't the worst person in the competition. No, no. I mean, he beat Kyle Schwarber in the swing off, but there were other people in the first round that I felt like he could have beat as well. Um I like your theory. I'll give it a seven. A seven? Yeah. Okay. Seven is just the number that I give whenever there's a one to ten scale. It's just feels right. Like You're the just right kind of like, that sounds, that's a decent. I don't want to like bury your theory on the podcast, but I'm like, it's probably not true. So I'm just right, going to give exactly. it a seven. That's the pitchfork, like 7.0. It's like, yeah. you know, it's, it's not best new music, but you know, there's something here for everyone. That's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like 5.5 to seven is like the danger zone, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like when yeah. Steve was on the podcast and he was like, just either crush me or love me, you know? Because yeah. then that'll get people to listen. Right. You don't want, you don't want, ugh, could happen, but like probably not and it's not very interesting anyway. Ooh. That's, that sucks. That, that sucks. That well, now you're making me want to give you a 7.5. <laughs> Hell yeah. Best <laughs> new theory, baby. <laughs> All right. We should, um, God. See, this is the part of the podcast where it becomes less fun. But like once we get into it, I know I'll have fun yelling at Rob Manfred. But at the be- at the onset of any conversation about something that Rob said, it's uh it's, it's pretty daunting. It's tough. Uh, so I felt like uh, Rob did a, a decent job of staying out of the spotlight this past week, uh, better than he has done in the past. However, in the lead up to the All Star Game, he was giving his press conference as the commissioner always does at large events like this. And a friend of the show, Hannah Kaiser, asked a little question that I think will be of interest to the Tipping Pitches listeners if you haven't seen it yet. Hannah asked Rob if his owners don't pay minor leaguers a living wage because they can't afford to, 
or because they aren't interested in doing so. Now, before I read Rob's answer, I want to say, this is how you ask a tough question. You don't give the person an easy out to lie by saying, do you think minor leaguers are paid fairly? Because they're not. And so what you do is you come into the question with the presumption, you come into the question with the knowledge that they are not paid fairly, and you ask why. Because that made Rob's response, I think, even more explosive. Because then Rob goes on to say, I reject the premise that they're not paid a living wage. So you make him fully tell the lie at the press conference. And then, of course, Twitter gets a hold of this. People like us get a hold of this. And we pounce on it. And rightfully so. Because the commissioner of baseball, at basically any opportunity, just lies to protect the owners Mm -hmm. about things that we know are true. And this is something that was happening all of the time during bargaining for the collective bargaining agreement. It was a little bit easier to lie about the Major League Baseball collective bargaining agreement because people, as we've discussed a million times, don't sympathize with quote-unquote millionaire players. But this one is a pretty tough one to lie about because I think a lot of people who pay attention to things like this, a lot of people who would even see this quote come through, at this point understand that minor leaguers almost in all cases make less than $15,000 a year and are not paid for the time that they are not playing in the actual quote-unquote championship season. And so, and so I think that that was the reason that you saw the amount of vitriol for Rob for saying something like this. But I guess my question to you, Alex, is what was he supposed to say? Like, what else could he do? I saw a lot of people being like, Rob Manfred, worst commissioner, continually, you know, stepping in landmines, continually embarrassing baseball at its most important moments. But he's sort of in a situation where it's not like he can just admit that they're not paid a living wage, right? Right. And and again, I think a lot of this is, as you said, to Hannah Kaiser's credit for making him either admit that teams don't play that teams don't pay players a living wage or find a way to weasel out of it and and kind of rationalize why they're not paid a living wage or as he or he chose option three right which was just kind of rejecting the question entirely no (laughs) thank you rob for finding the third rail i mean uh, i think this was in his mind and in the minds of owners probably the right answer right i mean it's his job to protect the interests of the owners and protect the bank accounts of the owners, right? And so when it comes to things like paying players a living wage, you certainly can't come out and claim that owners can't afford it, right? Because that's not true, although it's telling that that wasn't his defense, right? Right. Because there was a bit of an out there, which was, you know, we're doing our best to improve living conditions, but frankly, money's tight right now. You know, he could have said that, which is like, these are claims that he's kind of made in the past when it's come to any number of issues regarding the financials of baseball, right? right. It's like, particularly it's like at the minor league level where they try to pretend like there isn't this $4 billion parent company over top of them. They try to make it seem like each individual minor league club needs to be financially soluble on their own. Right. Financially soluble? I think it's solvent. I think soluble is just like Mm -hmm. a chemistry term. Yes, it is. We're just going to keep rolling. (laughs) (laughs) It's a linguistics podcast, not a chemistry podcast. It's not a finance podcast, that's for sure. Well, that's... Well, actually... Guy who's not financially solvent says financially (laughs) soluble. But like in theory, he gave the the right answer here, right? Which is to simply not admit, which is to simply not concede on the point that minor leaguers aren't paid a living wage, right? And he he, you know, in the rest of his quote, he talks about making strides in the last few years in terms of what minor leaguers are paid, right? He yeah, he he says even putting to one side the signing bo- bonuses that many of them have received, which just a side note, 
most of them don't receive much in the way of a signing bonus. Um, they've received housing, which is obviously another form of compensation. Uh, side note: Tell me more about why they did that. Why they received it's, that? It's not. Yeah. It's not a form of compensation. Did you? Uh, uh, I mean, technically, it is a form of comp- compensation, right? But it's but not I, the. It's not the. It's not the type of compensation that you would need to give if you actually were paying them a living wage. You know what I mean? It's like they're doing everything they can to not have to pay them a living wage, and so they gave them housing after extreme outside pressure. Like that's what the part that he leaves out of this. Every good thing that's happened to minor leaguers has net not been out, out of the good of MLB's heart. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a way to kind of throw the throw the towel on this this fire that's been kind of burning larger and larger over the last few years of yeah. actually getting meaningful improvements to the living conditions of minor leaguers. Yeah, don't don't take credit for that now, Rob. Where were you <laughs> on that issue 5 years ago? So, but he easily kind of skirts around the issue at hand here, right? Which is what, which is that many of them are not being paid properly, which is frankly what he's supposed to do, right? If you kind of look at look at his job, there's really no way that he can say this is the reason we're not paying them a a living wage, and he certainly can't say this is why we don't want to pay them a a living wage. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, it doesn't matter what he says, right? Because he's like, "What are you going to do? What are you going to do about it? We can we can fire off our tweets, right? You can let advocates for minor leaguers put out a statement, and sure, it probably paints him in a bad light. But that's kind of his job is to take the heat so that the rest of the owners." don't need to and you could argue whether or not he does it in the in the most savvy of ways i think he kind of just goes out there and dispenses of all notion that he really cares about the the future of the game right in in favor of simply lying to our faces but like he can do that he's allowed to do that every commissioner does that Right. Like he is far from the first to do that. He's maybe just the first to do it so plainly and brazenly and without any regard for what the interests of fans actually are or players. Yeah. I started to entertain the idea for the first time. I guess since we've been doing this podcast, started to entertain the idea that he might not be that long for the commissioner's office. Mm -hmm. Not because I. Not because the owners necessarily think that he's doing a bad job, but I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that. I think that it's at some point there will be a a an approval rating that Rob and the league and the commissioner's office dip below where it becomes much more it becomes much more viable to replace him. I mean, he's been commissioner for seven years and I think he probably wants to stay in that job, given all of the shit that he's willingly taken, and like, how he's like seventeen point five million dollars a year. He willingly yeah. takes that, and and that he seems to kind of live for the notion of pulling one over on the Major League Baseball Players Association. Like most of his adult life has been dedicated to that exact task, and why give it up now in the last third of your professional career? to retire early. It doesn't seem like that's something that he's particularly interested in, but right. If you can't exploit labor, why wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. I I feel the same way. Um, He only got 20 out of the 10, 20 out of the 30 votes of owners to make him the commissioner when he took over for Bud Selig. And I just feel like there's a little bit of an element of owners becoming increasingly frustrated with how nakedly some of these things are out in the open, particularly with regards to the minor leagues. Like I, I have to imagine that the 30 principal owners of major league baseball and their partners are not happy that this, these are some of the loudest conversations around the sport. And in the off season, when there's a lockout, there seems to be louder and louder conversations about how the league is being run versus how other leagues are being run. And 
I don't know if I fully buy into the notion that just because Rob is bad at the PR part of the commissioner's job, it's better for us to know these things, to hear these answers, to hear how they really feel about things. Because I kind of feel like I already know how all of these leagues really feel about things. How they feel is they want to make the most money possible. They don't care who it hurts, who it, who it offends, who it takes wages from, whatever. Every league would be operating the exact same way, no matter who the commissioner was. So I don't know if I totally buy into the idea that we should fear the next iteration of the baseball commissioner who it handles PR better, who makes it seem like they're doing the right thing. I'm not totally bought into that idea, but I'm also not excited to have to talk about that person because I feel like I understand Rob. <laughs> you know, he completes me like mm-hmm. the Joker and Batman. <laughs> Are you the Joker or Batman in this in this scenario? God, I kind of feel like we're the Joker, no? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Like, we want to bring chaos to the sport of baseball. If this is order, <laughs> we want chaos. <laughs> so I sort of feel like we're the Joker, but TBD, mm-hmm. I guess the listeners can, uh, can share which role, who, which role is who. No, you know what? I don't even, I'm not even going to leave it up to the listeners. Rob is definitely Batman. Vigilante yeah. justice, like weirdly extrajudicial. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like to get dressed up in his, in his suit. His little costume just, to go to his, his little, little job. <laughs> <laughs> Masquerades as like a, a head of business, you know, like a titan of industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this this metaphor is coming really, together, but really just has all of these weird like internal rules that he has to follow for some reason. <laughs> I'm workshopping it. We're, we're yeah, workshopping yeah, it. we'll we'll get there. We'll get we'll get there. We'll get there. I don't know. I guess I'm just not. I don't get fired up about the idea of getting rid of Rob, the way that some baseball fans seem to think that it will be some sort of solve for all of the problems that baseball has. No matter who you put in that seat, the problems will be exactly the same. And if anything, it's possible that that person is a little more savvy at bending the public opinion to their will, right? And I know, yeah. I know you, you mentioned that it's, it's oftentimes easy to see through the bullshit, no matter who's saying it. But I think for a lot of people, it's meaningful to have someone who kind of doesn't really tip their hand when it comes to how the meat is made, right? It just feels marginal, though, you know? Like, it feels like the difference between Obama and Biden. God, I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> like, they're just going to do the same shit, but Obama's going to be interesting. Yeah. And Biden is just going to stumble through the press conferences. Right. So do you want Obama to be the next commissioner of baseball? Like, I don't really... <laughs> no matter who you put in that role. No, I want Bane. Can we get a Buttigieg? <laughs> Make Pete Buttigieg the next commissioner of baseball. That's what some of these people sound like to me when they're like, fire Rob. We need someone with I know. respect. Yes. Bring, we need, we need bring an adult respectability back, in the room. back to the commissioner's office. Like, get the fuck out of here. Come on. What are we talking about? When was the commissioner's office respectable? When baseball was segregated? <laughs> when the owners were colluding and the commissioner knew about it? Yeah. When there was a strike in 1994 because the league wouldn't come to the table and negotiate in good faith and the players association was trying to get them to do that. So they didn't have to stop in the middle of a season that they built their whole careers towards. Like Mm -hmm. when was the commissioner's office respectable? It's all a fucking myth. Yeah. Yeah. I think Manfred is, is Manfred is, is probably our, I don't want to say best case scenario for, (laughs) for a commissioner, but you know, as as two folks who have a podcast about the the mishaps surrounding baseball's culture, yep, I he provides a lot of fodder for us, yeah, right? He, he sure makes does. our jobs easier. What would we do? <laughs> we're, we're like the New York Times when Trump came into office, <laughs> <laughs> just profiting off Rob Manfred's failures, right? Ruining Seriously. baseball. We're getting rich. We're getting fat and happy off it, Alex. Hey man, we're gonna we're gonna cut to his rallies, right? Because people are gonna watch. Uh, yeah, we're gonna stop this conversation right here, right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have nothing take, more to say. Let's take a quick. Obama is somehow, or Manfred is somehow Obama and Biden and Pete Buttigieg and Donald Trump all in one person, according to the conversation that we just had. Let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll answer your listener question. I've been here all night. 
All right, Alex, it's been a long time since we did any voicemails, so let's start with a voicemail from friend of the pod, JT Chipman, an embarrassed Royals fan. This one's tough. Here we go. Bobby, Alex, this is JT, a.k.a. Chip, a.k.a. depressed and embarrassed Royals fan. A little bit, little bit reeling from uh, 10 players going on the IL. Shouldn't be surprised. I should not be surprised by how this year has gone that I've now in this position. 25 players up to this point, fired from Canada, and now we're coming in with 10. Pretty wild. But walking into Target, about to get me some family-sized mac and cheese. Here's my question. When you guys are embarrassed or disappointed by your teams, do you have a specific coping mechanism? Is there a food maybe that you're going to, you know, a snack or some sort of guilty pleasure? And this is philosophical, but is there a difference between being embarrassed by your team like this and just being disappointed? Because right now we're just on the summer jam screen. Everyone's taking their shots versus just being let down. I don't know if there's a difference there, but I'm curious if you think there is. Anyway, I'll take your call off the air. Thank you, boys. See, this is so great. I thought Chip was going to be like, how should I feel about the Royals? How do I parse these feelings? But no, he was just like, what do you eat when you're upset about your team? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a, is a much better question. I, When I'm embarrassed by the Mets, I tend to just like talk about it with anybody who will listen. <laughs> That's like my coping mechanism. When I'm disappointed in the Mets, I get as far away from baseball as possible. Uh, I try to enjoy the other things in my life that bring me joy besides baseball. Um, and I think there is a difference. I think being disappointed in your team can be like when they don't sign the player that you want or when they lose a game that you thought they should have won. I think that's being disappointed. But being embarrassed by your team is much closer to what JT is talking about here and the, and the Royals monumental organizational failure when it comes to public health, <laughs> vaccination, uh, organizational a constructive organizational philosophy about uh, the best way to stay healthy during a pandemic. I don't know. Um, I got to say, mac and cheese is not the worst option, though. Absolutely. How about you? What What's your method for when you're embarrassed by the A's? You have so much experience <laughs> to pull from. Well, it's interesting because actually my mindset is kind of the opposite of yours, right? When I am disappointed by the A's, when they blow a game late or miss out on a free agent signing, which is just a funny thing to say out loud. The thought of the A's supposedly missing out on a free agent signing. Um, but when like their performance disappoints me, I, that's when I kind of remain engaged, right? That's when I say, well, well shit, we'll, we'll get them tomorrow. Um, that's when I almost, almost check in more because because the idea of disappointment means there was at some point some level of excitement or or curiosity right desire there yeah and so i want to find ways to kind of continue to stoke that excitement in in different ways right if that's going on to fan graphs and just trying to find like minor league players who i think might complement the roster Right or or twist myself into pretzels trying to figure out how they make the postseason or whatever. Right when I'm disappointed in them, I'm I try and lock in to them more. When I'm embarrassed by them, that's when I start to kind of check out and say I need a a breather. I'm going to switch over to a different game right now because this team is is not putting me in a good like mental headspace. You know, the A's, the Oakland A's, I love you, but you're bringing me down. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's valid. I, I just think about like when the Mets decided to bring back Jose Reyes or Juris Familia and like how I handled that, meaning like when I was at games that they would come in and I would boo them and people around me would be like, why are you booing? franchise icon jose reyes and i'd be like why are you not you know and like, mm -hmm. actually wanting to like talk to people about that because i feel like the uh the desire to like not want to talk about these things is part of the reason that teams think that they can 
take these actions oftentimes. Wow, now, to put me on blast. Well, I don't think that's exactly what you're talking about. You're embarrassed by the A's because of John Fisher, which right. talking about is like, how much can you really do? You talk about it on a podcast every week. Right. I just tweet through it. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say like for this Royals thing and then for the subsequent, if we can fold in the Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado news, which is that we found out that they won't be traveling to Canada um, because they are not vaccinated. I do think that, that we've now sort of hit a critical mass where I don't, I don't actually think that we should be talking about these guys giving them any kind of platform to share any kind of reason for why they did not get the vaccine. I think mm-hmm. that we're starting to like approach the territory of the more athletes talk about their misguided reasons for not getting the vaccine, the more people are just agreeing with them underneath mm-hmm. it. And, you know, for the Royals, I think it's just these guys are losers. They're not team players. Let's move on. Right. We don't need any more profiles from flyover states. Of yeah. guys in diners, right? Yeah. We we're not we're not getting anywhere with this. We don't need to know Andrew Benintendi's thoughts. Sorry, <laughs> just period. <laughs> <laughs> You've taken away my desire to know your thoughts now. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's move on. This question comes from the Slack. It's from Nick T. I'd love to hear your thoughts from the perspective of being pro labor and pro player. To what degree do you think a player saying "I want to stay at Team X for the rest of my career" helps or hurts their ability to negotiate with current teams? The cynical part of me would probably say it would do more harm than good because they're effectively playing their hand and putting the team in a great position to lowball, which, in Nick's opinion, the average fan seems to side with more often than not on things like contract and trade negotiations. Now, there are a handful of examples of this. Well, there are a number, dozens of examples of this of players saying, Oh, I'm not going to, I'd like to stay here for the rest of my career. I imagine myself here for the rest of my career. And what does that mean for their quote unquote value? What does that mean for? resetting the market if they're the best players in baseball i think it's it's an interesting question because i think the players association stance is you should test free agency and make your hometown team give you their best offer but i guess where i ultimately come down is i don't think it's the player's fault if they say that they want to stay with a team and don't get the full market value i think that that it should be incumbent on the team to say, we've had you for under market value for so long. Now we're going to give you the proper market value because we want to keep you here for the rest of your career. And we want to return to you everything that you've given to us. Now that happened with David Wright, where the Mets gave him a, a big contract extension that was basically at market value for one of the best third basemen in the league. It didn't, uh, work out perfectly because he got very uh, hurt at the end of that career or at the end of that contract. But, you know, there are examples of this throughout baseball history where the team does right by the player. More frequently, that that means the team tries to get some sort of hometown discount, which, of course, I think people know how we feel about that. Yeah, and I think it kind of depends on the line that the player is kind of taking because I think there are many times when when that's as much a kind of PR move as it is an actual expression that, you know, they'll sign with X team no matter what. Because I think it's endearing to a lot of fans if a longtime player for your franchise comes out and says, I want to be here forever, right? I, I want to end my career as a X team member. Right. Because then it kind of puts the pressure on the ownership to come to the table and say, yes, we will, we will do this because you mean so much to the franchise, because you mean so much to the fans. It kind of puts the ball in their court a little bit. Now, certainly it's a little different if it's like, yes, I, you know, I much, I much prefer playing here than anywhere else. And so if that means knocking a bit off my, fair market value so that I can play here in, you know, the in the city that I grew up in or whatever. Yeah. Certainly it disadvantages the player a little bit, but it also may not mean that much to them. Yeah. Right? I think it's kind of a case by case basis. Some guys are like, look, I want to get my bag. I am I am a I am the game's biggest star or or one of the game's biggest stars. 
And while I'd love to play for the team I'm playing for now, I, I'm going to go to wherever pays me the most. And I think other guys kind of take a different approach and say the potential benefits of getting slightly more in free agency don't necessarily outweigh me having to uproot my family and kind of go into a new clubhouse completely change my environment which may be coming you know halfway through your career there may be guys that say you know what that's not exactly worth it but they may also not be saying that part out loud right yeah in order to kind of right exactly because they 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 don't want to give those the the owners that upper hand yeah it's tough and it's like the inherent the inherent combative nature of this type of negotiation they the ownership side the team side is going to try to use everything they can to sort of take concessions back a little bit and and not give you that extra couple million because they in theory are want to use that on different players but in actuality you probably just want to keep that payroll down a little bit um okay we have time for two more Hey guys, I have a question about one photo for you this week. So imagine your team is getting ready to trade for one photo, but instead of trading players or draft picks or cash, you have to present the nationals with a dowry, such as goats, cows, farmland, whatever. What dowry do you present the nationals for Soto? Thanks. This, <laughs> I love the way Becca's mind works. Yeah, uh, let me truly, just say that. Uh, truly, I don't know how to answer this question. So, do you want to try to answer? It? <laughs> this is incredibly hard to answer because there are a couple different factors to take in. Right? I one is what is actually useful or meaningful to the Washington Nationals. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You may offer. A hundred goats, but unless they have plenty of farmland that needs upkeep, honestly, the learners probably do own plenty I of mean, farmland. Yes, they probably do. Yeah, but I suppose is is the thinking then that you are offering something that the Oakland A's are or the New York Mets are able to give? Is it something that is maybe? simply representational of the city in which the team plays, right? Am I going to offer the Washington Nationals a taco truck from downtown Oakland? And uh, I don't know, the the Fox Theater, do they want a music venue? (laughs) You know, like, am I offering them real estate properties? Because there's some good ones. I just don't know if you have the authority to offer that. Right. Well, as right. the Oakland is. <laughs> so here's why this is easy for a Mets fan is because Steve Cohen owns a billion dollars worth of art. So he could turn over cheeky little Pablo Picasso painting or an Andy mm. Warhol, you know, yeah, an original Jeff Koons. And I don't know, maybe that'll pique Ted Lerner's interests. Of course, that, that, original Pablo Picasso won't be able to be seen by anybody because it has to be on an offshore tax haven. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll have to pay taxes on it when they give when it's given in exchange for Juan Soto. Um, but that would probably be the easiest thing. I feel like Steve Cohen may just like buy the Empire State Building. Just be like, here, I'll give you this for Juan Soto. Yeah, I don't know that jeans would have the same pull is the problem. Which is, I guess, largely what John Fisher has to to offer. Yeah, lifetime fifty percent right. I mean, off the gap. Right. I, that could be I don't bad. know. I mean, but, I, you know, they got decent denim. Yeah, but yeah, but here's the thing: is everyone already gets fifty percent off the gap because anytime <laughs> you go to Gap or Old Navy, it's like blowout sale. Yeah. <laughs> so that's not even very enticing at that point. And frankly, I'm I'm googling some pictures of uh, of Mark and Ted Lerner. And they don't really strike me as jeans, guys. You know, I can't even I can't even find a full body picture of them. You think that they just wear suits all the time? Well, <laughs> based on Google Images, it seems based like that it, might be true. I it may be a representative sample size. 
Bro, Gap denim, not bad. Not bad. I'm wearing Gap jeans right now. Oh, wow. An endorsement of John Fisher. I'm cutting all this out because no free ads. (laughs) Um... It's a it's a really good question, Becca. I I would love to hear if people would like to call in and share what what they or their ownership group could offer in exchange for for Juan Soto. Um, maybe like Steve Cohen could offer to hire every learner fail son like for the rest of time to point seventy two capital, and that's a good it's a good well paying job for the whole family. You know that's legacy right there. That is yeah. All right, final question. Dan wants to know. This is a very important question, Alex. But I feel like we might have talked about it at one point or another, but I love hearing you talk about your baseball career. What positions would y'all play on a major league team today? Feel free to consider your athleticism and experience as it is as it is now or what it would ideally be for the position. Thank you for letting me consider my own athleticism and how it would play out on a major league baseball field. That's not an exciting thing to think about, Dan. Um, so what's up? What position are you playing? Putting yourself right up the middle? Well, shortstop, quick glove. Just is like bullpen catcher a viable <laughs> position? Yeah, it's a hard working job. Blue collar, <laughs> right? Exactly. You don't get much love for it, but uh, but it's a it's a necessary job. Someone has to do it. Um, right. I I think that most of my tools probably do not play at a major league level. What are those point tools? in time? Tell me the tools. Well, that's just it. Right, hit, hit what tool. Are, what what are the tools? Nope, not really. Twenty to eighty on a on a major league scale. Yep, is twenty the lowest you can go? Yeah, dog. Come on, you never professionally scouted major league baseball. Come on, read fan graphs for once, bro. I mean, against major league pitching, it's a it's gonna be like a twenty. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, I think the same about, probably goes goes for you. Unless here's some, I'm. Here's Unless you've been taking part. hacks in the, in the cage. You don't know. You don't know. Here's a more interesting question. How would you rate your five tools against the rest of the baseball podcasting universe? So, like, we create a baseball league of just baseball podcasters. What's your hit tool in that league? I feel like it's probably like a 60. I was going to say it's probably like a 60. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty good. Power is still decent, pretty low, though. Decent, I mean, that doesn't just, yeah, the just, power doesn't just come great. out of nowhere. <laughs> I'm still kind of... Uh, when was the last time you lifted a weight? <laughs> I'm more of a Jose Iglesias type guy. <laughs> you know, like, I got, I got the defense. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you hits. Yeah. I'll, I'll get on base. <laughs> which um, Jose Iglesias type. <laughs> not much power, not much speed. But, you know, a move to a, to a friendly, to a hitter-friendly ballpark might, might do me some good. Right, a juiced ball here or there. <laughs> right, exactly. Might help you out. Um, God, I don't know. I mean, like, I was a pitcher. Mm-hmm. But I cannot throw a baseball anymore. <laughs> right. So I feel like that's sort of important uh-huh. to, um, to pitching. So given that I very likely have a small tear in my UCL that was never repaired, I will not be choosing to pitch. I don't think that I can pull off the Masahiro Tanaka pitching with a torn UCL for 15 years. <laughs> um, and so I will just, I'll have to say, uh, play first base. And I guess that makes me a sort of Ryan Zimmerman type if I can't really throw very well. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll just get the TJ and I'll be a, I'll be a wily old right-hander like Adam Wainwright. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, hey. Never had much could... of a curveball though, so I don't think that I could be Wayno. Do you think you could do you think you could figure out a knuckleball? Like that's uh, a way no. to revive to revive the career, put less stress on the on the elbow. Do you remember how fun it was to try to throw a knuckleball like with your friends after practice? Just be like, oh, I could totally pull this out in a game. And <laughs> you throw yeah. one and it goes like fifteen feet over the batter's head and you're like, nah, I could do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. We'd we'd make it work. Yeah, I was so bad at that. You get it anywhere near the strike zone and someone hits it five hundred feet. <laughs> right, exactly. I'm like, how are you you're pushing out? With your with your the tips of your fingers, like yeah. I'm like I'm like, how do you get any any velocity? Like that? fingernail maintenance is very important for that as well. You know, like yeah. you you would, could never be a knuckleballer because you bite your knuckles, just nails, bite nails all the time and they would just bleed on the mound. Yeah, I um I do much better nail maintenance than you. However, mm-hmm. I have very weak uh, cuticles, so that might become a problem <laughs> in the long run. <laughs> gotta right, say though, right. gotta say. 
I think we would be two valuable assets on in the uh, all baseball podcaster league. Yeah, excluding I think so. former major league players, that doesn't seem fair. <laughs> right. Yeah, maybe maybe less valuable uh, if you just dropped us onto a a major league baseball team. Although I will say, if the Royals take another trip to Canada, they might they might this. they might need some help. <laughs> okay. Thank you to everybody for listening to this week's episode of Tipping Pitches. Big thank you to our new patron Jack this week. And of course, a special thank you to the five members of our Alex Rodriguez VIP club tier that we shout out at the end of every episode. Thank you to Micah Austin. Now I only want a triumph. Jesse and Austin. Two Austins in here. Neither of them are the Austin that we know in real life. So we, we, uh, <laughs> we apparently carry a lot of weight with people named Austin. Thank you to all of those fine folks. And uh, if you would like to sign up for the Tipping Pitches Patreon, it is patreon.com backslash tipping pitches. Or if you're already signed up or you don't feel like signing up, why don't you just go ahead and send this pod to a friend? See if they'd like to give it a listen. Speaking of the Patreon, if you're a member of our Alex Rodriguez tier, we are hosting another Q&A session uh, later in August. Our, we're, we're looking at August 14th, and we just may watch a baseball game while doing it. So if you want to come hang with us and watch a baseball game, keep an eye out for more information on that. We got a newsletter going out later this week where you can find those details. Anything else for the people? Nope. I think that's it. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we will be back next week. I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. So we'll see you next week. See ya!